Hello, can you hear me? Okay. Uh, so I will do the Bible reading. Uh, it's um, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, 1 through 18. I will start reading in Ukrainian, and then I will read in English. Um, in the Church Bible, it's page 1089. Rano vranci u perši dan tijdnja, še zatemna Marija Magdalena pišla do grobnici i pobacila, še kamen, jaki zatulja vhid do pečere, bitsunuto. Prebihše do Simona Petra i drugo učnja, jakoho ljubav Isus, ona skazala. Тіло Господа було забрано з гробниці, і нам невідомо, куди його поклали. Петро з тим учнем одразу ж пішли туди. Вони обоє бігли, але другий учень випередив Петра і пробіг до гробниці перший. Нахилившись, він побачив шматки полотна, що лежали там, але всередину не війшов. У цей час наспів і Симон Петро, який біг слідом, і увійшовши до гробниці, побачив полотяну плащаницю на долівці, а також хустину, що вкривала Ісусову голову. Вона була згорнута і лежала осторонь, окремо від плащаниці. Тоді і другий учень зайшов усередину, той, що прийшов перший, і побачивши, що сталося, повірив. Бо вони все ще не усвідомлювали сказаного у Святім Писанні, що він має воскреснути з мертвих. Після цього учні повернулися додому, та Марія залишилася біля могили і голосила. Так плачучи, вона нахилилася, щоб зазирнути всередину, і побачила двох ангелів, які сиділи один в головах, інший в ногах того місця, де лежало Ісусове тіло. І були вбрані вони в білі шати. Ангели запитали, «Жінко, чому ти плачеш?» А вона відповіла, «Якісь люди забрали звідси тіло Господа мого, і я не знаю, куди вони поклали його». Сказавши так, вона обернулася і побачила Ісуса, який стояв поруч, та не впізнала його. Ісус тоді каже, «Жінко, чого ти плачеш? Кого шукаєш?» Марія подумала, що то садівник, і звернулася до нього. «Шановний добродію, якщо це ти виніс його, то скажи, куди поклав тіло, і я заберу його». Ісус гукнув до неї «Марія». Вона тоді, обернувшись, сказала арамійською мовою «Равуні». Це означає «вчителю». Ісус сказав «Не затримуй мене, бо я ще не зійшов до отця свого, а йди до вертів моїх і скажи їм, я повертаюся до отця свого і отця вашого, до Бога свого і Бога вашого». Марія Магдалена пішла до учнів і сказала їм «Я бачила Господа». І вона розповіла все, що він сказав їй. Now I'll translate it. So early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone has been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and other disciples started for, uh, for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, into the strips of lining line in, uh, line there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of lining lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying uh, in its place, separate from the lining. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels white seated where Jesus' body had been, one on the, at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, 
Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have, yet, uh, I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen uh, the Lord, and she told them that he had uh, said these things to her. Or does it sound better in Ukrainian? I think it does. I, unlike Ed, have remembered to bring my visual aid up. Um, but Ed's already showed you my notes. So we'll see how this goes. So resurrection. That's what we're looking at. We're not, we're not going to look at it in a big doctrinal way. We're not looking at the really important bits of theology that we can learn from it. Because we're looking at the story of it. We're going to look at how three people in this story are changed by the resurrection. And after each little bit, after looking at each person's story, we're going to also think about how that change might be relevant to us. And I will say, as we go through each bit where we look at how it might be relevant for us, is going to be relevant for a larger portion of people. So if you're going to drift off some point in this sermon, do it early. But don't do that, because it's still got great bits for everyone, even early on. This is in John's Gospel, and John's Gospel, I love John's Gospel, John's Gospel starts off so big. It starts off talking about, in the beginning, talks has the most big cosmic view of Jesus and it also at the same time completely alongside that has the most intimate version of Jesus from the gospels and this this great moment Jesus is back from the dead he has conquered the grave this is the greatest moment in the gospels the greatest moment in the bible the greatest moment in history and John tells it as a very intimate little story with just some of Jesus' close friends. And they change. The first person we're going to look at how they change is John. So John, in the story, is referred to as the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. In the next chapter of John's Gospel, John will make it perfectly clear this is him. That is how he refers to himself. It's a style thing from that time. He didn't want to put his own name in it in that, until he got to that point. But he, he's in the story, so he has to talk about himself a bit. So that's how he does it. He refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. He claims to have been a first-hand witness. He was there. He claims to be a close friend of Jesus. He claims to be the disciple Jesus loved. Not implying, I don't think, that he, Jesus didn't love the other disciples. 
but implying that there was a special closeness between John and Jesus. John was possibly, there's some arguments that John was the youngest of the disciples. And he was a close friend of Jesus. And here we have an intimate, intimate and personal account of an epic moment. Peter's also here. We're not going to worry about Peter. Peter gets his own story that we're going to be looking at in a few weeks' time. And although the story starts with Mary, we'll come back to Mary later on. But Mary comes to John and Peter and says that the tomb is empty. She thinks someone's stolen Jesus' body. There's stuff going on with Peter, he's feeling guilty, and John, who's so close to Jesus, and their response is to immediately race to, the, to see for themselves. And the word race is the right word, because John is quite proud that he won. He mentions it three times. In verse 4, he says he won. In verse 6, he mentions that Peter had to come up behind him. And in verse 8, completely superfluously, he mentions it again. Is it just me who gets a feeling that this young man might be slightly competitive? And that even decades later, when he's thinking and he's thought all about this and he's now writing down his account, he still can't resist getting a dig in at his friend that he beat them in this foot race. John gets there first, but he won't enter. He's scared. I can't really blame him. It's a cave for a start, effectively. But also, it's a tomb. It's an empty tomb of a friend of his. That must feel pretty weird. And so he stops outside and looks in. Peter appears to be braver. In all of the stories about Peter, we see that Peter is definitely a brash man who comes to get to the tomb and goes straight inside. Peter generally doesn't hesitate and think things through. So Peter goes in. When Peter goes in and doesn't get hurt, I don't know whether John's expecting some Nazis opening the Ark of the Covenant moment to happen. But when Peter's fine, John follows in. And it says he saw and believed. Which raises, for me, two very obvious questions. What did he see and what did he believe? What did he see when he was in the tomb that he couldn't see from outside looking in? I, there were, he could see it all. He could see the tomb was empty. He could see the cloths from outside. But something about being in, stepping into it, meant that he actually saw. Previously, maybe he was just looking, but now he saw, and that meant he believed. What did he believe? I think, I love verse 9. 
It says that John saw and believed, but they still didn't understand. I think maybe there's a word there we could put in. Maybe we could put the word yet in. John obviously later felt he did understand, because when he was writing this gospel, he mentions the scripture and points out how they have been fulfilled. But at this point, John believes, but he doesn't understand. And he goes from being afraid to believing, and then that becomes a commitment. We know John was committed, because years later, he sat down and wrote this account for us. We see here, so two issues that John had that could potentially be a block to us living as Christians. Fear and a lack of understanding. One of those, the passage clearly says, shouldn't be a problem. Don't think you can't be a Christian because you don't understand it. John didn't at this point. He didn't understand that the, what the scriptures said about Jesus coming back from the dead. He didn't understand it all. You don't have to understand it all. Don't let that be a barrier. Belief is what is called for in the Bible. As you grow as a Christian, spend time as a Christian, spend time at church, spend time getting to know God better, your understanding will grow. I'm not asking the same questions of God that I was 10 years ago. Doesn't mean I haven't still got questions. And probably in 10 years' time, I'll have different questions again. But don't wait to understand before you start acting as a Christian. Start believing. See and believe like John did. It's understanding is good and something that we should seek out, but it isn't essential. What about the other thing? John was afraid. Before he stepped into the tomb, he couldn't see in some way. He couldn't see it. He couldn't experience it. He didn't believe. As I was thinking about this and preparing this, a friend of mine came into my head. Um, friend that I'm still friends with, but we, our friend, the most important point of our friendship was when we were about 16, 17. His name's Rob, and at 16, Rob was an atheist, and me and him got the bus to school together, and 16-year-old Matthew, in all of his arrogance, if you think I'm arrogant now, I was, I've learned a lot of humility since then. But at 16, I thought I could argue Rob into being a Christian. And he enjoyed an argument. So for 11 months, we argued. Bus journeys to and from school. Most days, we'd have an argument about faith. Sometimes, both journeys. I argued, 
and I argued, and he argued, and he argued. We lent each other books to read. Uh, one of the books I lent him was a copy of this, The Case for Christ, a book that argues in large part that we can believe that Jesus, Jesus rising from the dead was a historical event that actually happened. And that was a huge part of what we were discussing. This isn't the copy that I lent Rob, because I don't think I ever got that copy back. Um, that's not because he kept it, it's because he lost it. Not that I'm bitter. After 11 months, Rob would, was willing to admit to me, actually, he understood why I believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And he was willing to say that he thought that belief made sense. And he could understand the arguments for it. He thought the arguments for it were quite, actually quite strong. After 11 months of arguing, I asked him, so why aren't you a Christian then? And he said he was afraid. Rob is one of the most genuine people I've ever met. And he knew that if he admitted to himself and started believing that Jesus has risen from the dead, everything in Rob's life was going to change. And Rob thought that was scary. And it should be. If what is stopping you from really living as a Christian, really going for a Christian, or even making the first steps as a Christian, is fear that it will cost you a lot, that it will change your life, you are right. But it's worth it. After 11 months of arguing, Rob told me that he was afraid. At that point, I started praying. After 11 months. <laughs> Within a month, he became a Christian. <laughs> because he stepped through and decided to be brave. So this is the challenge. If fear is a reason you're not walking with Jesus, step in. Step closer. Really see and believe. You don't have to understand. Perhaps you're not struggling with fear, though. Perhaps your struggle is with grief and sadness, maybe depression. All Christians at times struggle with that. And that's where Mary's story comes in. Mary has not been a major character in the Gospels so far. One of the other Gospels mentions that she had seven demons that Jesus drove out of her. But she was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was killed. She's the one that went to the tomb, finds the disciples. And now she appears not to know where to go. So she goes back to the tomb. And she's crying. Because not only has someone she's willing to refer to as her Lord been killed, now the body's gone. And she's just distraught and doesn't know what to do. She stood outside the tomb, full of grief. And she looks in the to empty tomb, and it's not empty. There are two angels sat there. 
I have no idea what they were doing. Were they just waiting for her to look in? Um, I, yeah. She thinks someone's on the body, and now she asks, where's the body gone? Then she hears a voice from behind her. She turns around, and she still just wants to know where the body is. She wants to be, have a chance to look after the body. Mary is all Jesus has to say, and she knows. The resurrected Jesus, who died on a cross for all who believe, who came down from heaven to earth to be with sinners. Jesus, who, according to John, was intimately involved in every bit of creation. Nothing was made without him. When he's back from the dead, his greatest moment, it's he first spends time with apparently unimportant women who are distraught. This is John's cosmic Jesus that we see through John's eyes who want to spend time with individual people. Mary cries, Rabboni, which means teacher, and goes to hug him. And the presence of Jesus saying her name has taken her straight from grief to joy. Now, you probably know as well as I do, it's not normally that simple. It's not normally that simple in life, certainly not that simple in my life. And it's not normally that simple in the Bible either. This is a special moment in history. And her reason for grief is just completely now gone because she was thinking that Jesus was dead and now he's not. So perhaps you're thinking, yet if the reason I'm sad just went and completely changed, I'd feel fine as well. But there is something more than that going on because we can still rejoice in the resurrection. When you are distraught and the Christian life does sometimes include that. The living God, who made everything, knows your name and speaks it with affection. That can help. The Bible says that what God wants to do and what he will do eventually is wipe away every tear. That is relevant to everyone at different times, but the last story we're looking at, the last transformation that we're going to look at is relevant to all of us, and it's the really obvious one in the story, the really obvious transformation in the story of the resurrection is Jesus going from death to life. Mary, having just called Jesus teacher, goes for a hug, it seems. And Jesus says, do not hold on to me. Which is weird. We'll get to why in a minute. He says, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
Why is Jesus telling Mary not to hold on to him? Well, some translations say touch. I think hold probably is the better translation. But it's odd. Because Thomas, within like a few verses' time, we'll get a look at that next week, Thomas gets invited to touch Jesus. He is actually invited to. So Jesus doesn't have a problem with it then. And there are lots of explanations that you can find if you do a little bit of research. And most of them, to me, seem pretty stupid. It's, and just the only one I'm going to particularly talk about in terms of the stupid explanations is some people say it's because Mary's a woman and Jesus didn't want to be touched by a woman. I don't think that holds water at all. Because for a start in John 12, there's a story where that involves Jesus being touched by a woman, and Jesus has no problem with it there. He says she's doing the right thing. So in John 12, a woman touching him was fine. Later on in this chapter, someone touching the resurrected Jesus is fine. So what is it? I think it is about the holding. And the text says it's because he hasn't yet ascended. Jesus is risen from the dead, but that's still not the end of the plan. Jesus is then going to ascend to heaven. And Mary can't hold on to Jesus because actually she's got to learn to relate to him another way because he's soon not going to be physically around for her. The resurrection isn't the end of the plan. And Jesus and Mary have jobs to do. So Jesus sends Mary to the disciples. But he doesn't call them the disciples anymore. He calls them his brothers. Which he's never done in this way before. Jesus has died on the cross. And so the work is done. And those who believe in him are now adopted into God's family. They are now his brothers. Previously, they were just disciples. But things have changed. They are now his brothers. That's the great news of the cross. That by dying on the cross and dealing with our sin, Jesus gives a way for us and God to be close to each other. The resurrection is good news as well. Not only does it confirm that the resurrection, not only does the resurrection confirm that the cross has worked, that the sin has been dealt with, it's also sometimes referred to in the Bible as the first fruits. Jesus, rising from the dead, is different to any of the other people who have risen from the dead in the Bible. There are three people in the the Old Testament who rise from the dead, and Jesus rises three people from the dead, and there are a couple in Acts as well, and Jesus is different to all of them because all of those other people who rose from the dead went on to die again. But not Jesus. Jesus ascended into heaven. And we are clearly promised in the Bible that we can share in that resurrection as well. 
and the ascension, the fact that Jesus rose into heaven, even though that means that we don't have Jesus physically around, we can't, we're not able to hug him like Mary wanted to, it's good news as well. Because it means that Jesus, as we are told, is sat in heaven advocating for us. He's arguing for us. He's representing us in heaven already. And we're going to get to share in his resurrection. The good news transforms us. Maybe you're struggling with fear and you need belief. Maybe you're struggling with grief and you need joy. We're all ultimately facing death. But this brings us life. I'm going to end by reading one of my favorite bits of the Bible. And that's not the only reason I'm reading it. I'm also reading it because it kind of manages to tie these threads together a little bit. Because it's from Job. And it, it's a bit from Job where he has no way to understand. It says, they still do, in the passage we read, they still did not understand this from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Job definitely didn't understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead because most of the scriptures hadn't been written when, he, when his story was written. But he, in this little bit, clearly understands that there will be some resurrection. And if anyone in the Bible has reason for grief, it's Job. And here, he's holding on. And it's about death to life. So this is from Job 19. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. How my heart yearns within me.